0: Okay, welcome guys to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, a podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and get to interact with different cultures from all over the world. Every now and then, uh, if you've been listening to podcasts, you know I'm Nigerian, and even though I've talked to people from almost 50 countries, every now and then I get to talk to a fellow Nigerian, which isn't too far-fetched, I guess. Uh, Even though we're both, uh, you know, I happen to be from the same country as my guest, um, there is still a lot to learn from him. And I actually listened to his interview on another Nigerian podcast about a week ago, and I was intrigued by his story. So um, join me in welcoming Chucky to the podcast. Peace, peace, love, and blessings. How are you? Most definitely, most definitely. And I I guess you guys can tell already, peace, love, and blessings. Like, we're gonna know (sighs) how how close to umar johnson this young man is <laughs> during the course of the episode but... <laughs> it's, it's quite quite far actually really <laughs> quite far yeah quite like super
1: far removed from from that
0: okay i guess our audience would decide but how are things going where are you uh, what part of the world are you right now
1: uh, i live in a lovely city uh called saint Catharines. it's it's like 10 minutes away from Niagara Falls. So we're actually very close to the Canadian border. So the Canadian American border um, on, on this side. So it's, it's, it's beautiful. We just got our first big snow of the season, which is weird because it's coming in January. Um, so yeah, we give thanks.
0: I know, right? Uh, when I moved to the US, I initially was supposed to move to Buffalo. Uh, New York, which I think is close to Niagara Falls as yeah, well. Yeah, it's just right, right opposite there. Yeah, when I went to the University of Buffalo, I was like, hell no, I'm not staying in this town. <laughs> so I moved to D.C. instead. But. Yo, the, you know the interesting, speaking about
1: culture, the interesting thing, bro, is like, you cross the, Canada, the, the Canada-US border, right? Then you leave. I think it's, is it Niagara to Detroit? Or is it, I think it's Buffalo on the other side.
0: You know what? It's a whole stretch. Cause yeah, I can remember going to Greektown in Detroit as well. And I think it was uh, River Michigan or something that said separates Canada from Detroit. It was, all, it was all confusing. I don't know. Yeah, but bro, man, you're just like, yeah, this is a different
1: country. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? But you, right. you literally just cross the street and you're in a completely different country. It's... But even just like the vibe, you know, the type of Black people you see on the Detroit side of the border are very different than the type of Black people you see on the Canada side of the border.
0: But it's just like, it's literally just a step away. It's super fascinating how like human beings work. I can imagine what well, what took you to St. Catherine? Because typically when you get like, I don't want to generalize and say African immigrants, but Nigerian, Nigerians typically tend to settle in Toronto, which is pretty diverse. Some go to Vancouver, or maybe some who emigrated, you know, go to the provinces uh, you know, just for immigration purposes. What took you to that particular city, Saint Catherine? I, I haven't heard about it before.
1: Yeah, well, where where I claim as my home is a city right very close to Saint Catharines, it's called Hamilton. So I think it's really what took me to Hamilton. Um, I'm just in Saint Catharines to to be with family through this uh, quarantine period. I didn't want to have to do it um, alone in my house, so I have the pleasure of living with my my little brother, and you know we're just building together. Um, Hamilton, Ontario. I came to Canada when I was uh, 16 or 17 for university, and I went straight to Hamilton. And well, I was in another city called Mississauga for years, technical details. Um, but uh but then I went to Miss, went to Hamilton for school. And I lived in Hamilton for about seven, eight years and that's where home is. But you know, you did school, but you know, like with immigration, there are these patterns, right? So mm-hmm. people from specific places go to specific places. So there's actually much more Nigerians in Hamilton than you can imagine.
0: Interesting. But and, wait, more than Toronto? I don't think so.
1: Uh well, Toronto is more people in general. Okay. Right. So the chances you get more of any culture group is going to increase. Um, but in Toronto, you know, there are these patterns of migration. So you get a lot of obviously like you can even find third, fourth, maybe even fifth generation Caribbean folks in Toronto um you don't really find like you don't really find third generation Nigerians in Toronto you can find like third generation Nigerians in the UK you can even find like fourth fifth generations Nigerians in the UK but but Canada is much uh they're just different migratory patterns you get a lot of Somalis Ethiopians um Caribbean folks you get a lot of Ghanaians in cities like Brampton I don't know what's outside um uh outside Ontario, which is the, 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 the province, like the state, um, but I'm sure there are different patterns that emerge in, in, in BC and in places like Prince Edward Islands and Newfoundland and Labrador. Canada is a very vast geography and very, very diverse place. And so are peoples.
0: Yeah, from from what I from what I hear, I know it is it is very diverse. Um, let's touch on your story a little bit now. Like Chuki, like will, will I be correct if I, I say your um, like cultural name is like Chukudi? Chukwebuka. <laughs> Chukwebuka, okay, okay, because yeah, yeah. uh, you go by Chucky now, that's cool. You said you, you came over to Canada when you were 16. Let's peel back the layers and talk about Chucky as a young man uh, growing up, kind of like pre-teens. Uh, where, what part of Nigeria did you grow up in, and what do you remember about growing up? What were some of the fun memories uh, when you were about maybe 9 or 10? 9,
1: um, well, the, the first thing... You know, that strikes you when you live in a place like Jiriya is the the contradiction of life, right? So you can't be playing soccer with people who live below the poverty line and walk into a mansion when you're done playing soccer with them. Um, you know, and it's like abundant the, the abundance of life and the all the the hard, the hardships of life literally are staring each other right in the face. Um for me, I think the unique thing I don't know if it's unique or the, the I guess the, the the thing about my upbringing, um, there's a lot of diversities that exist in my life. So my um <laughs> my grandfather on my father's side was a chief justice. And what a, what? a chief justice. And um, but he hated he hated going to the court. He just like stayed in the house and um at educated cases from his, from his courtyard. So you have all these people lining up in front of his house and he's hearing their cases. On my father's side, on my mother's side, um, my mother's father was, uh an not almost like an elected king or something like that in the East. Um, but he was like a German trained uh, civil engineer. So you had, you had this, these two men who were draped in deep, deep culture, but were also Deeply kind of Western in their training as well. So I grew up with, with those contradictions as well, right? So when I go to my mother's side of the family, uh, we're greeted almost like royalty. And when I go to my father's side of the family, you know, he's like the bastion of kind of what we consider to be a democratic institution at the time. So there are a lot of contradictions, a lot not, not even, I don't know that there were contradictions, but a lot of different faces to life. Cause one of the things I find right off the jump is and these things actually they are actually not contradictions they exist kind of seamlessly beside each other um so that and just, was and
0: just for context what city did you grow up in i grew up in lagos lagos okay
1: yeah so my parents were middle class both of them worked hard for their money my mother is a tailor my father is a was a businessman just you know straight up Igbo hustlers you know like my mom built her Business from scratch. Um, my dad, team with my dad. You know, like um, humble beginnings. And as kids, we were just raised to work hard. Um, my um, um, growing up, my mother had a factory, and, and as she's a, she makes like duvets, bed sheets, throw pillows. Um, and after school, once we did our homework, we just went to her factory to help her out. Right. So I did that. For, I think from when I was six is what I remember. We, I just used to go to my mother's factory to work. And I did that until I left to come to Canada at 16. Um, When you
0: say work, what were you doing in the factory? Like picking up garbage, like moving things around. Like what does she have you do? yeah, so my my mother
1: uh, makes like duvets, bed sheets, curtains, all these things come in really big packaging and container. So we're usually doing manual labor. you know, we're peeling off container, we're counting, we're stocking, moving things from one yard to the other. Um when she had big orders, uh, all the kids would be there, just literally moving things with her workers from the storage to the to the um to the car that's meant to deliver it to the destination. Um so you know all that stuff we just learned to build with our hands. you know, there's was no, no lazing about, we were middle-class, you know, as middle-class as a Lagos family can get.
0: Um, were, so, were your parents kind of like the average Nigerian parent that said, you know, that try to determine your future for you saying, hey, you have to follow, follow the line of the family business, or so at least be a doctor, lawyer, engineer kind of thing? No, I, you know,
1: I think it's a blessing, man. Like my dad is super liberal, Um I don't even know what he actually crawled out of. Uh, but my dad's whole family, you know, they are just really relaxed, and very funny.
0: I mean, you mentioned your grandparents were Western educated, or one of your grandparents at least. So you know.
1: Y- yeah, my my grand father and also my grandmother was a headmistress as well so like staunch educationist one of my earliest memories of childhood is just like being in my grandfather's library and just seeing how vast it is i still still have dreams sometimes about my my grandfather's big library but i don't know that i don't know that like i i feel like my grandparents were a bit more conservative um but my uncles and aunties all kind of just did their own thing. So maybe there's an element in their childhood that allowed them to be, um, I don't know that liberal is the word, but open, definitely open. So we didn't, we never fell into that track of you have to be this and you have to be this and you have to be that. But it's, 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 it's its weird because as the first son of my father, um, I always felt like I had to kind of take on the mantle and do the, uh, do the thing that, you know, the doctor, when I when I was coming up, I wanted to be an engineer, you know, I went through that phase, um, but I've just always been fascinated with people and culture and, and, and how people think and the kind of societies they build and why and how can we harness culture to like be intentional and, and build uh, sustainable societies for everybody.
0: And we'll get to that, like how you really, you know, dive into culture and the love for different traditions and religions and things like that. But let me touch on something you mentioned earlier. You said, um, you you know, Lagos was kind of like a wild place where you could play uh, soccer with, you know, I don't know, kids from a lower economic background. And, you know, when the game is over, everyone like goes, some people go into a mansion, other people go into. What was your experience like witnessing that kind of societal structure? What was a particular interaction? Was it playing soccer exactly or it was other instances uh, that you started to see that, oh, like everyone is not like the Ebays or like my family, you know, people have kind of like the society kind of like (laughs) structures, uh, different groups in different ways, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Well, I mean, the way society
1: works is as a nine-year-old, you don't see it. It just, it's just so normal. That's, you know, that's, it's like a fish does not know that it's swimming in water. That's just what you see every single day. Um, and even, you know, like the older you grow, um, even when you live there, sometimes you, you don't see it as well. Cause like, you've just been socializing that environment and it just becomes normal. So for me, it was actually leaving Nigeria um, that allowed me to look at Nigeria. With, with, call it clean eyes. And it's not even like leaving Nigeria. It's just like, the, travel is so important. Like if you leave Lagos and you go to Emo State or you leave Imo State and you go to Kwara and you leave Kwara and you go to Lome or you go to Accra, Kumasi, you just have perspective, right? You just, you're able to see um, that the way life is where you're from is just not the way life is everywhere else, you know, and it, it gives you perspective. So to me, it was, I think my first trip was to Accra I think I was maybe seven or eight years old. Um, it was a school trip. And you just you know, the thing that I noticed specifically you know, about Accra is that um they organized their granots. Like, you know, in Nigeria, when the people are carrying granite on their head, they just they just toss the granates on their on the, on the on trays the, on the tray. But in Accra, they actually arrange the granates on the trays. On right? my one by one one by one it forms like a neat a neat neat pyramid and I showed it to my teacher I was like oh my god the other thing in Accra that was so interesting was something
0: so simple was still a, a source for culture shock.
1: Exactly. The other thing that in Accra that was so interesting was you know in Nigeria we have the uh the top up cards. We call them recharge cards. So that's why you buy your airtime and top up your phone with with new airtime. In Nigeria the uh at least when I was last when I saw it last um the uh, the airtime had this gray banner over it where you have to peel off the gray banner and then you can read the uh, the top up number. But and this is like when I was not this was like 2000 and 2002 2003. But in Accra they just didn't have the ash that you have to peel, so you can just take the card and see it. So you know these different nuances in society just. Tend to form the cracks in the matrix. Ah,
0: Ghanians maybe more honest than Nigerians.
1: You know, you don't, you don't know what, you don't know what all these things mean, right? It's just like the way different societies are organized. And it allows you just to look at your society as non-interested. You know, it's just one way that we can do it. It's not the only way. It's not good or bad. It's just one way.
0: It's funny you say that because I grew up uh, in a military household. So I grew up in the barracks, right? And in the typical Nigerian barracks, they kind of like the way housing is structured. I'm not sure if this is the same way in barracks all over the world. Depending on your rank, that shows how nice your house is, right? So if you're like a sergeant or whatever, you might just be in a one-bedroom quarter somewhere with other, like, you know, a junior officers. But if you're like a major or whatever, you, you might have a compound, whatever. If you're a general, you're like a whole nother part of the, the the barracks and all that stuff. But like you said, like all the kids will come together, like, you know, play and do everything. And, you know, everyone will still go back and do their thing. So it's just funny that sometimes you live in the moment and you don't realize some of those things, even though some parents and relatives tend to point some things out to you like deliberately and stuff like that. But um, you eventually became sixteen. Um, you, you wanted to move to Canada. Like, what brought you to that realization? Was it your parents saying, "Hey, you know what? You gotta, you gotta leave the country." How did you guys settle on Canada? I know you talked about having family. Yeah, it was my cabin. my parents
1: just put me on the plane and sent me here. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I had. Did, did you have any resistance at all? Like, hey, I'm leaving my friends. No,
1: no, mm-hmm. it's just you know we, Were we you listen to instruction. Actually, to
0: explore like a new world kind of thing.
1: No, I hadn't. I had. I I did not know what to expect.
0: You're indifferent.
1: I, I never, nice. Well, not indifferent. I just like I just didn't know. I was just a blank slate. Um I had so my my older sister had come the year before and I had my mom had family here. Um and my sister was was good, a family we trust and love. So it felt safe. Um and at 16, you know, we don't make those choices for ourselves as young children in Nigeria. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Like, uh, you know, a typical, I would say, Nigerian who's 22, 23, it's not strange to see like a 23 year old still live with their parents. You know, in some cases, maybe even still collect pocket money depending on the type of family you come from. But, you know, over here in the US, like you're, you're 16, you already have a car you're taking, like, your girlfriend out on dates, you might have, like, a job working at McDonald's or something, like, there's just a whole different... You're 18, you're in the military shooting guns in like, Iraq
1: or something. But yeah. it's just a whole
0: different thing. And but
1: One of the ways I think about these things is... And again, it's not, it's not that anywhere is better or worse it's just, it's just different, you know? Um, and uh, for me, though, when I do my comparison, I I, I look at... Everywhere, like what happens in India, what happens in Taiwan, what happens in Senegal, what happens in Lomé, what happens in 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 um in Barbados. So, but when you have a multipolar world, it it allows you not to feel less powerful or less uh, significant. You just realize that no these this this is one way of life in the spectrum of so many other ways of life
0: facts facts and there's something to learn from from everyone's way of life if you yeah. can only be open enough to to see the value yeah, exactly. And things like that. Okay, so you you moved from from uh, Nigeria. Uh, where did you land in Canada? And was it how easy was it for you to adapt? Because I, I think you said you moved here in, what two thousand and three or something or four. That was pretty early. So the internet isn't what it what it is today. Uh, there wasn't Uber. There wasn't maybe there was Google Maps, but maybe that was like what you know the early version. But how was it like for you? Well, oh,
1: shall I tell you the One of the biggest shocks when I came to Canada was public transit. I just didn't understand how public (laughs) transit worked. But but more so, to be honest, man, more so I felt in Nigeria we get we get driven around by if you're like a middle class family you probably have a couple maids, uh, house domestics who help out. Um, As as I was younger, I was like 15, 14, 15. Um you have a you have a driver yeah you at least not you, but your parents probably have a driver um so you don't you don't really get to sweat on the street, you know, you just go from one support to another support uh but to like find the time of your bus and to hop on the bus and a bunch of other people in in the bus heading you know take the transit, find like the entire city bus find the bus that goes only in your city it was just I was like so. Oh my God, it's like, oh, people live like this. You know, it's just different. This is different.
0: That that's actually a unique experience. Cause I'll say for the vast majority of Nigerians, like uh you, you don't have a lot of teenagers. Like, I'll say like the vast majority of teenagers take uh public transportation back home in Nigeria. Not not everyone, you know, has access, is middle class enough to have access to like a chauffeur. Yeah, the middle the like middle that. class is definitely
1: the minority,
0: right, in Nigeria. Most definitely, most definitely, and this was pre Google Maps, right? So you had to like look up the times the bus were, were yeah, coming through, yeah, right, exactly. And like get into that and get into that. Did you did you see that coming abroad, being away from your family? Did that kind of like ignite a sense of hustle in you? Given that you didn't have some of those maids and things here, Wow. did you start to do things that you didn't do typically no, while we were back? No, no, like
1: again, like. My 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 upbringing. My parents were just like super like get it done. You know, we had uh, we had domestics in the house, but we worked as well. Um, I went to boarding school for six years. I was pretty independent. I'd lived away from my family for six six years, like on and off, because I went to boarding school, right? So, um, I I've, like I've, I'm also a DIBO boy, right? So like <laughs> everything is an opportunity. Facts. <laughs> you know, so uh, so when yeah, so that was just the vibe. You figure it out.
0: Okay. Okay. So you moved to Canada. Um, What university, what did you end up studying? Uh, How was school like for you? Um, Did you enjoy school? Um, When I say school, I mean like academics and what outside uh, academics, like extracurricular, did you get yourself involved in? Um,
1: I did enjoy school and, and I am unapologetically a nerd. I, the thing I enjoyed the most about school was my ability to combine knowledge between my classes so if I had one class uh once a poli sci class and I had one chemistry class my question was always how does chemistry relate to political science
0: interesting are you so thinking I went... this way as a teenager well it wasn't intentional it's was just kind of how my brain is wired did that stem from your 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 sl- 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 nights at uh, your grandfather's library or something um well I, I think you know like the patterns in our life, we all have these pretty
1: genetic predispositions, right? Mm. And the, part, the patterns in our life heighten or limit whatever predispositions that we had. So I think for me, having been able to live in, in different-ish climates, cultural climates, allowed me to access that thinking, thinking pattern much early. And I think I just developed it over and over again until I finished uni, And, and in uni, I'm just
0: just making a case for my podcast right now. Thank you.
1: (laughs) And, you know, it's it's real though. Yeah. And And in uni, um, it was, I think it was in my second or third year where I started to look back and say, oh, wow, you know, I've been doing this all along. It's time to be intentional about it. The other thing that I forgot to mention was, um, you know, growing up, uh, so my, my um, part of my family lived in Abuja and the other part of my family lived in Lagos. So I went back and forth a lot. And Abuja is uh, Abuja is the capital of Nigeria. It's predominantly-ish Muslim. Um, so I was around a lot of Muslims all the time. It's when I went to school in Abuja for a period. I was I was around, I was the Christians were the minority. So uh, as I, I was living as an Igbo person, as an Igbo Christian in a Muslim-majority Abuja and a like Hausa Fulani kind of-ish majority in Abuja. So I just learned to be comfortable around folks who were just not like me from a really young age. But also my pops, I had a lot of Muslim friends, so we went to Iftars, we went to Ramadans. Um, so all that stuff just became like super accessible to me. Um, but it also, again, just allowed me to see that your way is just your way. It's not the right or the wrong
0: way. It's just facts, your way. Facts. And you have
1: to, you have to respect other people. So I carried all that stuff. You know, all that stuff was just compounding and
0: compounding. But what makes you think a lot of people don't see things like that? Like a lot of people tend to have this cultural or religious or class superiority? In a way, like they they don't see things like, hey, you know, it's just a different way of doing things. Like we can move forward. And and it's funny because I was talking to someone about Afro beats too, like the fact that, you know, Nigeria is a powerhouse of Afrobeats, that doesn't mean there are not other genres that can be enjoyed. And I know, you know, we're proud of what we created and, you know, sometimes we make, you know, that whole thing, Afrobeats to the world, we're proud of the WizKids and the Burner Boys out there. But, like, that doesn't mean we should, like, deliberately, like, shame other people or something. Like, what do you think it is that that makes people, like, operate in that vacuum of religion or culture and seeing things just from their their way. And like anything that's external to that culture or religion, they kind of just automatically see as inferior. Have you been able to determine what the reason for that is in all your your years of uh, being close to different cultures?
1: There are very, very many reasons. um, And I don't know all of them. (laughs) I'm sure there are more reasons that I, there's probably more reasons that I'm unaware of than I am aware of. Um, But I also actually respect people and, you know, I say this with with a lot of asterisks, but I'll say the first part first. There are a lot of people who, who think that their way is the right way, and I respect those people as well, right? Um, and you have to recognize that people are just born where they're born, and they live where they live, and things like faith and belief and identity are so personal mm-hmm. that to tell people that their way is wrong is almost like disrespecting or insulting the essence of their being. So I usually never start there, right? You just have to recognize that the reason I am the way I am is, and the reason you are the way you are is because like our lives have shaped us to think this way. It's not like we actually did anything, you know, we kind of just showed up and our experiences made us. Think so it's easier way.
0: just to operate based on what you're familiar with. And it takes some um, deliberate or indeliberate, uh, you know, circumstances of events to then shift your thinking to be able to no I, I don't i don't think it's,
1: I, like. I don't think it's easier but but i do think we have to fully respect how the forces in our lives create people now there are some people who are extremists right there are people who would want to impose their way on you um people who would want to intentionally oppress, create caste systems, marginalize. Uh, I have no time for those people, right? I have no time for them. I know, so, and they exist everywhere in the world in 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 even if across genders, across uh, religions, across faiths, across races. So I do think that there's something even probably more, and I and I don't know, don't quote me on this, but there's there's probably something the human genome that predisposes this kind of supremacist behavior or there's something in our evolutionary nature that, that that allows this possibility to occur more times than not in human beings i don't know what those things are but supremacy cultural supremacy tends to be something that human beings are able to create but also cultural diversity also seems to be something that human beings are able to create i do think that we, we do not have enough public examples of sharing Um, of cultural exchange it happens all the time but i do not think that our culture our visual culture our media music has the discourse to talk about how we exchange and how we share in a respectful way and that's why i think platforms like these are very important what we're doing at Trout is very important because we show people that sharing is possible that exchange is possible that respect is possible
0: Facts, facts. And you touched on Trad, uh, so I might as well just ask about it. So while you were in university, you started a publication or media platform or collective. I'm not sure exactly how it started, but um, talk to us uh, around how you kind of like conceptualized the idea for Trad Magazine. Um, What was your thought process behind it? And how did you take those steps in gathering like-minded people to launch uh, the organization?
1: Bro, man, Triad was probably the most um, can I call it spiritual journey ever? Cause I say this often, man, like my body was just moving and I didn't even know what it was doing. Um, I, you know, I received a, a direction from, I don't know where that direction came from, to just build something. Um and we, there was these young, black, energetic, curious, highly talented people on our campus. And there was an opportunity to harness this greatness that we possess and be intentional about learning about ourselves, about each other. So I just created like an event at a cafe, just an event of intentional talking and intentional sharing. Um, and we ran that for two, three years. It's almost like an alternative learning experience.
0: What, uh, what for, level, what year in the university were you? Were you like a, a sophomore, I, junior or senior? I was
1: in my was, I was, uh, second year. Yes, yeah, so we we booked out a cafe, we put up put up posters, we told people these are the themes we're going to be hitting on, these are the panels we're going to be talking, we're going to be what creating. What were some
0: of those things, what were some of those topics back then? It was, uh, you know, at the time
1: it was kind of really introductory, you know, Africa 101, African history. Uh, we talked a bit about activism, we talked about the Moors, I know there's this kind of pan-African movement that really focuses on Moorish, Moorish Moors. The Moors were uh, North African Muslims uh, that lived um, in North Africa, but also lived in Spain, or not lived in governed Spain um, and Portugal and some countries in Western Europe for about, I think it was almost around 300 to 700 years, I forget. So so there's all this history that we had available to us that we never really explored. So we wanted to just tap into that. And those are some of the things we explored in the first days of, of Trad.
0: Oh, it seemed pretty deliberate. Like you guys formed the name Trad Magazine. You got like-minded people. You actually picked out a venue, picked out topics. So it seemed pretty intentional for, for young people. I and mean, it doesn't look like a happenstance.
1: So at the time, uh, it was called Afrocentric Ideals.
0: Afrocentric Ideals. Does that was what I get, but I was like, that no more. won't fit into a Twitter uh, handle. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, but, you know, I got to a point, I'm, also, I'm an artist as so well. Like create. Uh, I created through a bunch of um, mediums and um, you know we just drafted Afrocentric Ideas was the first draft of Trad and who knows if dra- Trad is the last is the final draft of Trad but uh, I wanted something that was clean fresh uh, something that was responsive something that was uniquely African but didn't have all the cliches and uh, and it wasn't it wasn't really about blackness or Africans it's just sort of, uh, connecting to our humanity in in all its senses you know.
0: So when did you guys transition into Trad in its modern form and why that name Trad and what does Trad do currently? Um, did you guys ever publish a paper magazine at all?
1: Uh, no, Afrocentric Ideals didn't. It was purely a live, ev- okay. live event and social media platform. Um, so Trad kind of been a dream for about two years. We officially launched uh, July, uh, July 19th of last year. Um, why trad? You know, in Nigeria, we, we, we say trad all the time, right? It's traditional clothing is trad. Um, it's like the short form for saying traditional. But what I found interesting about calling it the trad culture was it wasn't that it was actually traditional. It was that it was quite modern. Um, so what we did was we took traditional prints, styles, and we made them into modern styles. And to me, it's like, oh, we do this with our fashion all the time. Why don't we do it with our ideas? Why don't we take the ideas of uh, of our ancestors, the design principles of our ancestors, the philosophies of our ancestors, and, and cut them in new styles for the modern age? So it's not about romanticizing. It's really not about going back. It's actually about renewing and reshaping and reframing and ensuring that things are useful and practical. Uh, now, But to do that, we actually have to know what these ideas are. We have to sit down with them. We have to critique them. We have to take what is not useful and uh, and create what is useful for us.
0: Yeah. And when you say, like, I was going to say that, like, you need a base, right? Like, if you're going to modernize, like, some of the, the knowledge from, like, ancient uh, African traditions and things like that, like, you need a base. So how did you guys obtain that base? Or so you personally, like, did you have... Uh, you know your grandfather or parents like teach you things when you were growing up. Did you self study? Did you go have like a spiritual journey to a specific location to 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 learn some of these things? How did you acquire some of that knowledge?
1: Yeah, good question. So I did have well. It's well, there are two things, two ways to think about it. First is to me, it's come as you are with what you have, and we will build with you. Um, recognizing that not everybody is coming from the same place, not everybody has the same intentions, Um, not everybody has the same skill and knowledge. Um, The other thing about Trot is that we talk about classical African thought, but, but to me, that also includes uh, folks from the Caribbean, that also includes folks from uh, Black Latin America, from Black America, from Black South, Af- South, South Asia. So anywhere Black and African culture emerges around the world. And like, it's it's weird mutations and and because because Black Blackness is also a really new concept. It's like 400 years old. Africa is also a new concept. It's like 600 years old.
0: What do you mean? Do you mean like post-Berlin conference and post-slavery? Like what do you mean by 400 and 600?
1: Well... So the what we understand to be Africa right now, what what we understand as continent, is a very new idea. So these uh, geographically, so these meta geographical structures have existed, you know, since the breaking of of Pangea, as they say. But the idea of a continent is new, right? The idea of this a continent is, is a social meaning. Remember how. Once upon a time, there were eight planets, and then there were nine planets. And Pluto was a planet. And Pluto wasn't really a planet. Mm-hmm. There are all these rules that people create to consider what is. Same thing with continents, right? At the time Australia was a continent, and it was not really a continent. And then, and then what you know, these Caribbean islands. What do we call them? Um, for for many times the for for, for much of the classic world um what we understand right now to be like Europeans didn't call themselves Europeans um and as Europeans expanded to the rest of the world they used their idea of continental structures to map out the rest of the world and then we inherited those continental structures and then and then call call ourselves Africans and you know and then the concept of race emerges um as the transatlantic slave uh, uh, era is, is happening and the, the, the caste system is created um, that puts black people at the bottom. And then we inherit this language of race that is kind of intertwined with the colonial expansion and the, uh, the transatlantic slave experience. So all these languages are deeply, deeply consequential, but there's like, in their English words and they're, you know, our people didn't create them. Um, and we have to bear both the positive and the negative consequences of them. So I'm I'm interested in exploring how my great-grandfather's great-grandfather thought about himself, because he didn't think about himself as a Black man, and he didn't think about himself as an African, because these ideas, these, these concepts didn't exist at that time. And then there are, also, there are other cultural regions in the world, right? Like the Caribbean is deeply fascinating, where we have an intermingling of Hindu and Chinese and, uh, and Indian and... Um, a European and, uh, you know, French, Spanish uh, 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 ideas and identities that have been used to create and obviously multiple African identities that have been used to create this, like, really fascinating Caribbean identity um, and culture. Um, So it's hard to talk about Blackness without talking about its interaction with other people, other historical forces, other cultures around the world. So for us at Trad, it is unpacking all of these things um, and also understanding the knowledge system that our, our, our diverse experiences have created from across time. Um, you know, what are the unique things that uh, people in the Caribbean region have offered to us that didn't exist before the Caribbean region was conceptualized in its form? You know, there are these gems of knowledge and philosophies and principles and like design ideas and, um, and technologies that are created. Um, that I, I think we don't often go back and revise. So, you know, we we are this uh, cacophony of so much intellectual curiosity and diversity. Um, and we we like to borrow, trade, exchange, share. And for me, creating my base was I started from Igbo epistemology, Igbo mythology and worldviews, because that's where I trace my lineage to. But you build out from there um, and you find out that, you know, the Igbos are actually pretty similar to the Celtic people from Western Europe and you find out that, you know, the Zulu people were really, were really like really similar to the Mongols. Um, and you find out that, you know, the, the, the Ghanaians are pretty similar to the Vikings, you know? So like, there's so much cool stuff that we human beings have done that isn't really tied to geography or skin color or religion. Uh, there's, there's a lot more nuance that we allow ourselves to believe as humans.
0: Now that's pretty interesting. Uh, let's if if I can be scientific for for a little moment here. How do you then communicate that? Because you you talked about a bunch of things, and I understand what you're saying. Like there there's this history, and you know the, this intermingling of cultures. And if you go back far enough, you can like um, you know probably trace similarities between cultures and things like that. But if you're talking to someone like and trying to convince them, I'm not sure like if if Trad like offers like memberships or you know, you have people who are part of the organization, or if you have readers or listeners, like how do you digest all those things and and make it like a step-by-step process into communicating something specific? So for instance, with Afropolitan ideals, uh, you guys had certain topics, you had a venue and you met somewhere at a certain time, on a certain day to talk about these things. Now, when we're we're talking about kind of like the purpose for trad, like it's like all these things, how do we synthesize that and then in turn communicate that, uh, to people who might be willing to learn more about this? Yeah. So the purpose for trad is to
1: explore, renew, and restore African ideas. Um, We do that through publishing Trad Magazine at tradmag.ca. We publish a new volume of about 11 essays every two weeks. Um, the essays have, or the the volumes have specific themes. So right now, um, the theme is time. So as, as of, uh, the 26th of January, 2021, the theme is time. We publish every two, uh, two weeks. The next theme is health and the next theme is justice. And then the next, you know, so, so then to us, it's okay. We then explore these topics. Um, but, but the reason I was talking about the diversity of cultural experiences is yes we are African yes we are black we recognize the strength and the abundance that exists in those categories uh but we also recognize that there is there's more to us than these labels uh and not, not, not this not just label is not the word there's there's more to us than the meaning we have associated with these categories and we can actually create recreate meaning every time so uh there's a piece right now that we have uh and it compares Igbo and Hindu ideas of, of time. From a co- from their cosmological calendars, so we are constantly borrowing, sharing, um, investigating ideas that are African in the origin and and black in their in the origin and expression. Um, but we also we also share and explore um, cultural spaces that are not bound by black or African geography.
0: That's very interesting. And do you like either you personally or maybe you just trad in general? Like, how do you guys make the dis- distinction between tradition? And religion, because sometimes those two things tend to, you know, intermingle. If you're, if you're, you know, talking about evil epistemology or the Hindus or things like that, like all of those cultures have practices that border on religion, which is tradition, or tradition that is religion. Like in, in researching and doing all this, do you also expose yourself to other religions? Are there also like? Cross learning opportunities between religions kind of like how the ancient Egyptians did it back way back when and things like that. what
1: did the ancient Egyptians do?
0: Oh well, they had all these schools right where they you know kind of like um uh read up or you know kind of like documented different religions harnessed uh different I don't know what I, to I, call it the ideas from ideas, ideas from around the world. you know things like that from around the world and you know things like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't studied uh, the ancient Egyptians, but but based on what you've just shared, I think that's a very sensible thing to do um, because, you know, you just find that human beings, again, are just a bit more simple than we think we are. You know, you might be separated by a thousand years and a thousand kilometers and create the exact same idea, right? So, um, so for us, it's all about, you know, we have these amazing writers um, ext- extremely talented team. And uh they, they explore, right? They explore and whatever idea they would like to articulate through Trad. We have an editorial or through Trad Magazine. We have an, an editorial process that allows them to express those ideas.
0: Nice, nice. And is everyone a volunteer or how does it work? How many people form like the TradMag team, the core TradMag team? And uh, do you guys have like members or how, how do you build your ecosystem of people in Canada and even beyond?
1: Yeah, so we have an amazing, amazing community. We are currently supported by uh, the Ontario Trillium Foundation. Um, they are one of our funders. So because of their generous support, we're able to pay our writers. Um, and then, you know, we, we have a, we have quite a big team and we have an amazing community. And we're always looking to grow, expand, share. Um, one thing that I, I want to quickly add is that, you know, we're not, and I think that's the difference between, you know, I'll call it, uh, you, know, you know, we've had different eras of Black African thought. Um, And I think what the younger generation is doing is actually is a lot more interesting than what I've seen in a while, because we are pulling from Non-African traditions. We are we are critiquing, investigating, exploring, unpacking uh, what it means to be African. We are correcting a lot of the mistakes folks who came before us made in some of the uh, usually very misogynistic approaches that they took to thinking, talking, exploring Africa. Some of the patriarchal uh, um, uh, ideas within you know what they what they talked about, discussed, who they prioritized. Um, So, you know, we're correcting a lot of the limitations of the folks who came before us. And we're really just expanding um, what we think is possible in the world in terms of our our potential as people. But the other thing I'll I'll just add is that Trad is existing in a cultural space of a lot of transformation in the world. Um, So young Black people around the world are stepping up, reclaiming our our history, our streets, our lives. um, And... And we, we are entering a new era in this world and we need new ideas that will sustain us for the next 300, 400 years. And for me, what we're trying to achieve with Trad is to build a community that allows us to really investigate these ideas. And we're pulling from everywhere. We're pulling for anything that works with work. And, and you know that's really the intention. Our goal is to really build a culture, conscious, uh, critical, curious community uh, who tries to explore, restore and renew African ideas.
0: You know, it's interesting you said that, like, it's a changing world. And, you know, um, some of those, uh, uh, you know, things that were popular with, you know, the prior generations are slowly, you know, starting to get upended. But I I say that to say, like, how is like, when you see organizations like yours as mostly pro-Black for the most part part or pro-Africa, for the most part, uh, even though you involve, you know, people of African origin, regardless of where they might be or be located in the world. How do you, have you had some resistance from non-African descendants, even though everyone kind of like descended from Africa in a sense, like, let me say non-Africans, like uh, people from the Caucasian race or, you know, other people generally. um, Have you had instances where you had to, not only educate like black people or people of african descent but non black people in order to to kind of like i don't want to say convince but in order to kind of like Explain to them what it is you guys are trying to achieve or has there been any opportunity for stretching out your hand to like other races and things like that uh, to kind of like bring them in as to what you're doing? Is it a very open collection of people or it's kind of like you you tend to stick to those uh, like Caribbean, African, you know, um, some portions of South America, that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I think um, our generation, the, the task of our generation is just to live and ensure that we are extending our lives. You know, the world is about to burn, right? And, and you know, I see say, I say this quite, quite frankly. Um, and our goal is to ensure that we have life on earth for an extended, for as long as the earth wants to be here. Um, and what I mean by this is, um, I look at the folks who have come before us, some of the African scholars, the African thinkers, um, who have paved an excellent way for us. But I find that they did a lot of explaining. Um, part of their goal was to explain African cultures to folks who are non-African and forgot to explain African cultures to Africans. You know, you know, there's this generation that's it's almost lost by like, you know, there's like, you just can't really get any information from folks who are like 40 to maybe even like 35 to uh 60 or something. Um, but there's a generation that, but, but also when you think about what was happening on the continent at the time, there was a lot of just physical violence that was being inflicted on people. So of course, um, the, the lives they lived, you know, I'm speaking right now in retrospect, but I live a rel- relatively safe and secure life. Um, but the goal is we're just, we're not explaining ourselves anymore. Uh, the people who needed to explain themselves have done that. And we're just going to live.
0: Interesting. And what's next for TRAD? Like, we're in the new decade now, January 2021. Uh, TRAD has been existing for a while now. What, like 10, 15 years, maybe? M- Mid 2000s, right? Yeah,
1: 2000. No, TRAD has been existing for four years, five years, about five
0: years. Oh, really? Oh, you're not counting like the former iteration of, of TRAD?
1: Oh, no, that's including the former iteration. So we started in 20, 2013, or for 2013.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, and what's what's kind of like next for Trad like in oh, the wait, next How, eight, how five, old is ten years? 2013 till 2021? That's a long time. My goodness. Mm-hmm. It, it seems sure, right? I mean, I, I always remember the FIFA World Cup was in 2010 in South Africa that's freaking 10, 11 years ago. Yeah, you know?
1: yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, almost seven, eight years. So we're building you know, we're building, man. Like our goal is to really start connecting folks across the diaspora exchanging ideas building building curiosity but also we want to get to a point where you know bro man there's so many people doing interesting things i was i was watching uh, a talk with a um forget he was west african forget his, his country of origin but he was talking about the new design uh the new design philosophy for architects mm-hmm. um across across west africa um, and you know they're they're look they're investigating indigenous um design systems indigenous building structures indigenous mapping technologies uh, to see how we can start repurposing some of uh, those materials to use them now you know th- there's a real there's a real break in knowledge um and I don't look back to the past with romance I think there's a lot of There's a lot of stuff we don't need, but there are some gems and there are some insights and we need to be investigating those insights and repurposing them. So what is next for Trad is we're publishing the magazine, but one of the next steps for us is to start curating these best practices from our ancestors and just turning them into practical, like creating an idea hub where people can come reference, take and build. And then the next part is to teach our kids. And I think one of the things that we, one of the breaks in our history was our, our, our fathers and grandfathers, bless all of them. Again, they lived in very different times than we do. But but that intentional passing of knowledge, the organized passing of information and culture, did not happen. Um, you know, in Nigeria, there was a civil war. People were, you know, there's a reconstruction era with creating a new country. So there's just a lot of disruption. So our job is to ensure that our young, our young brothers, sisters, family members. Have the information, whether it's through uh, storytelling, through animation, through um, uh, you know modern media platforms, through education initiatives. so we're building all the infrastructure that will allow us to share knowledge with each other. Um, but also uh, probably what is more critical, man, is we have to inspire ourselves, you know, uh, for the the world we're coming into, if we do not wake each other up, we will sleep on our salvation. We would have to energize each other to ensure that we are leading together, we are living, that our lives are uh, protected, our dignity is protected, and we are building worlds uh, where people are living in in peace, security, and dignity. So TRAD is on a mission to to wake folks up, to share ideas of folks across the continent and really across the world, because ultimately it's a humanity-driven initiative um, and to provide people with the idea that are, that are going to sustain us for the next uh, the next 300, 400, 500 years.
0: Wow, that's a that's a pretty interesting and lofty goal. And like you said, I guess you know one integral part is kind of like building that community of uh, particularly like Africans in the diaspora and all around the world. Um, how much practicality is is being incorporated in some of this strategy? Because I understand that you know we need to wake ourselves up. We need to you know, make sure that we fully understand history. We learn from history. You gave the example of architecture. We need to incorporate some of those ideals and reintroduce some of those ideals into how we operate now and in the coming years, especially for our children. But like, if you're acting like the normal person on the street, like how practical is it to like wake even 5% of the african millennials or people of african descent up like is it how big of the ch- a challenge will it be is it just easier to operate within a small group of people and then then formulate the strategies and you know small steps that the average african on the street can take knowingly or unknowingly, but that can then further the agenda, if that makes sense?
1: It's a good question. There are many many pieces of this. The first thing I want to say is, you know, sometimes we think that is the African on the street that needs help, but often it is the African in the middle class that actually needs the help. And the African on the street is the one that is actually going to do the waking up. So I think when when we are thinking about a positionality, uh, we have to be aware that poverty of of pocket is not always poverty of imagination. Um but but let me let me take a step back and say that um Trad is not the only person we're not the only organization in this field. And many people will be called to serve and do many different things. Um, people will be called to use their voices, people will be called to use their talents, people will be called to use their finances, people will be called to use their political um political uh 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 political skills. Uh so there's there's a there's a and this is, this is also not gonna happen on the African continent. It's gonna happen in the Caribbean. It's gonna happen in Black America. It's already happening in Black America. It's happening, so it's been happening in the Caribbean. So trade is actually not new to the party at all. And, and, and I think a lot of us are moving in this direction already. Now the goal is again, how can we inspire each other? How can we share across geography, across political jurisdiction, across ethnicity, across short-term interests? Um, but at end, and help each other, how can we catalyze the movement across the board? Is there something that is happening in, uh, you know, in Bridgetown that is that is applicable in Komasi? Some of the things that are happening on the macro level, you know, when we're seeing the integration between, say, not the inter- integration, but the intentional collaboration and sharing between countries like Ghana and countries like Barbados, I am very encouraged by the the potential for that. In the music industry, it's already happening, right? And not just the proliferation of Afrobeat music, uh, but we're seeing convergence of culture. We're seeing people from Senegal and from Gambia and Nigeria and South Africa share the same spaces. Bro, for most of our lives, we've not been allowed to share the same spaces. Mm. So this is already a win unto itself. But let me now talk about the practicalities of culture. And, and more so the practicalities of securing people's lives and their livelihood and preserving their dignity. Um, and in my mind, if, if our ideas don't do that, then their ideas are actually pointless. And, and one, of, one of my personal critiques of a lot of folks who came before us is there were a lot of lofty ideals of, uh, of continental unification and continental power, but there was not a lot of consideration of securing people's lives and dignity. Economically? And I, economic dignity exactly right and i think as we're going forward we really need to center uh center people's economic security and let me talk a bit more specifically now so initially i talked about architecture right and there are folks in the field who are building who are thinking about and building sustainable environmentally friendly uh living conditions for folks but who are they building for they're building for the poor of the poor right? They're building for people on the streets, people who can't afford uh, these very expensive style buildings. When the worst of climate change is going to hit us, we need to be able to ensure that we are securing the livelihoods of these people. So when we talk about indigenous African ideas, we're not talking about an abstract concept. We're talking about how do we concretely use the tools of our ancestors to build in parts of the world that actually need uh, uh, need these, um, th- the security. One of the other things that is happening in, uh, there's a lady, I believe she was from Burkina Faso. Um, she has this amazing TED talk, and she's talking about using indigenous African ideas to predict weather patterns, uh, using uh, in, uh, the, the the ideas and the traditions. And this is not like weather, um, this isn't magic. This is actually empirical. Patterns of, of observing your uh observing the world, or not just observing the clouds, but observing how insects move on the ground, observing uh what the, uh, the birds are doing in the sky, the migratory patterns of specific animals. So when we talk about indigenous knowledge, this is also what we're talking about. And, sh- and she's using that and they're working with uh uh with researchers in, I believe it was Burkina Faso please forgive me if I'm wrong, to ensure that, you know, they're planning their crop cycle, their crop rotation, um, to ensure that there's maximum yield in places where drought is uh, is a bit more prevalent, um, using these knowledge systems to ensure that, you know, we're securing people's livelihoods, we're planting the right crops. So these things are quite practical. You know, these things are very, very, very practical. In Rwanda, um, one of the practices there, um, I talked about this on the afro the podcast, is um, the one cow, one cow poor family system where every poor family gets a cow and this cow provides nutrition um through milk uh, you can sell the cow you can trade the cow you can mate the cow you know there's so much you can do with it that cow is an asset Um, And it it probably gets this cow, but this is based off an ancient practice that has been happening in that Eastern region for for decades and decades. There's so many other systems of economic security that our people have created, and these are also some of the ideas we need to be looking at.
0: Okay, okay. That makes sense. Uh, I'm all for it. Like All hands need to be on deck, uh, which is really interesting, like... um... It just reminds me of the event we're trying to put on uh, next month called People of Culture. Uh, I've been talking about it on my podcast. So we're trying to in a little way using like entertainment education to like unify Africans and you know contribute to building that community. Because I feel all these little pockets of people doing it in D.C., people doing it in Chicago, people doing it in Canada, people doing it back home. Like ultimately who had to come together. And when I used to live in D.C., there was an African Union mission, right? Right there on uh, Wisconsin Avenue. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, the ambassador was ousted. And, you know, they were really pushing, like, you know, the African-Continental Free Trade Agreement, you know, Pan-Africanism really cultivating that community. I think we need more of that on a wider scale, even though sometimes it seems like some forces somewhere are working against that. But hey, we have technology, like we're not restricted by geography. We can always build a community like virtually, but...
1: Yeah, and it's just, it's about sharing, man. Like it's about sharing and it's about inspiring each other and, and also like validating each other. And there's going to be a lot of... uh there's going to be a lot of crap, right? But,
0: yeah. but there's going to be a lot of opportunists.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, but but the maturity comes in iteration, right? So all the crap will come and the people who, who last will last. And the people who are here to make a quick buck will eventually make their quick buck and fade. Um, but, you know, for me, at least, what I'm talking about is how can we actually secure people's lives? Um, and um, And how are we building, you know, to your point, that critical, conscious, curious community uh, that can share and, 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 and validate each other, right? Like, oh, this architect in Zimbabwe that you're doing this thing, you're not crazy. You're actually on the right path. Keep going. I'm here in Ghana doing the same thing. You know, let's see each other. Let's validate each other. We're, we're past, you know, we, the only people that need to validate us is ourselves. And we need to draw strength, share finances give ourselves the blueprints for success adopt them locally uh be respectful in the way we think we engage with each other and 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 you know th- I said this before but I'll say it again um we are waking up in an era where our world is literally burning. So we young Africans. Some, some, drag-
0: some, some people don't seem to <laughs> take note of that. Some people don't realize that though.
1: Yeah, like but what but the you know the people who are wigs have to do something, right? Like we talked earlier on the reasons why people believe what they believe are so complex. So I'm not interested in chatting with we're past conversion, right? Like we're not interested in talking to people who are one to argue with we know we're right. So it's just about fighting the people who uh who who are connecting and vibing and then build.
0: Nice, nice. Well, we can definitely have this conversation for you know another two, three hours. Unfortunately, I kind of have to wrap up the podcast now. I want to appreciate you, Chucky, for taking our time to come on the podcast. I always like to give my guests, like you know, the last few minutes at the end of every episode to kind of like uh, talk about stuff. Like if there's a question you were meaning for me to ask, I didn't. Or if you want to, you know, document some of your thoughts as a way to kind of like speak to your future self. Or if you just want to drop your social media handles for people to reach out to you, uh, you kind of have the floor.
1: Thank you very much, Nosa. and again, I give thanks to you for the opportunity. I don't know how similar I am to Dr. Umar. Uh, let's, your audience. Be the Dr. Judge eBay, Dr. Ebay,
0: Dr. <laughs> ebay.
1: Thanks. Um, we, uh, so we are at tradmag.ca, and trad, i just reiterate, the goal of our team, our community is to explore, restore, and renew the ideas of African people from around the world. Um, we are building a curious community um you can find us at tradmag.ca, that is our website. Um follow us on our socials, trad underscore magazine. Our Twitter is trad underscore magazine. Um, and our Instagram is trad underscore magazine as well. And you know, come come rock with us, come build with us. I hope you subscribe and share it with a friend as well.
0: Most definitely. And as usual, it's Culture Class Podcast everywhere. Look for us, uh, follow us, uh, send us an email, check out our website, cultureclasspodcast.com. Reach out to us, tell us what you think about the episode or the past episodes. Until next time, be well.